This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 89, The Final Teachings, Part 1. Last time, we finished the Book of Peace. The bulk of that book consists of the wordy dialogue between Yudhishthira and Bhishma as he lies dying on his bed of arrows. I managed to compress that down to a single episode, but we've only scratched the surface of these teachings. The next book, called the Anasasana Parva, is composed entirely of these teachings. This book is also enormous. It's roughly the same size as the Book of the Forest, which took me about 22 episodes to cover. The big difference is that I do not expect it to take anywhere near that many episodes to cover this tome, because the material just isn't that engrossing. I've spent the past several weeks working through this book, getting some idea of how to proceed. Like we discussed last episode, this dialogue is padded with a lot of stuff that doesn't bear repeating. It's just too boring. Last time, I made some effort to convey to you just what it was that I was skimming over. Now I think I've done enough of that, so for the remainder of this book, I'll concentrate on the stories that I find interesting, and you can take it on faith that the parts I'm skipping are not very interesting anyway. I'll begin with the story that Bhishma told about a mouse and a cat. He came up with the story in reply to a line of questioning Yudhishthira had been pursuing even in the prior book. It had to do with what is the best way a king should respond to failure, defeat, or oppression by a more powerful neighbor. One of Bhishma's answers was this parable about a cat and a mouse. The story takes place at the base of a giant banyan tree in the jungle. Living among the roots of this tree was a clever little mouse, while up in the branches there lived a cat, who mostly fed on the numerous birds that nested in the tree. The jungle was full of predators, so the mouse kept close to his network of tunnels for safety. There also lived in this forest a trapper, who made a living on the furs of jungle cats. One day, the trapper set a snare in this big tree, and the cat got caught up in its net. Around the same time, a mongoose came by, sniffing around the mouse's nest. The mouse ran up the tree to avoid the mongoose, but when he got halfway up, he saw a great owl sitting in the branches. Exposed and surrounded by enemies, the mouse had to think quick. Even though the cat was normally the mouse's biggest enemy, he realized that for the moment at least, they shared some common interests. The mouse quickly negotiated with the cat, promising to release the cat from the snare if the cat would protect him from the owl and mongoose. The cat readily agreed to this deal, and the mouse hid under the cat's belly. Whether the cat's word could be trusted or not did not matter, as long as the mouse was his only hope for escape. After a brief standoff, the owl and mongoose gave up and wandered off, and the mouse fled back to his tunnels. The cat grew anxious and said, When are you going to free me from this net? The mouse intended to keep his end of the bargain, but he took his time doing it. After all, he feared the cat might simply eat him as soon as it was set free. So instead, he waited until dawn of the next morning, when the trapper returned to check his snares. He waited until the last moment to free the cat. Hearing the trapper coming, the cat was too afraid to wait around hunting mice, so as soon as he was set free, he sprang up into the high branches. The parable of the mouse showed how a weaker power can use the strength of his enemies to advance his own interests. The theme of what a person should do when fallen on hard times comes up again, and Bhishma tells the story of a man who fell on the hardest of hard times. This man was the royal sage Visvamitra, whom we've met before as the reluctant father of Shakuntala, see episode 4. This story probably takes place long before the birth of this famous woman, because Bhishma says it took place at the end of the Treta Yuga and beginning of the Dvapar Yuga. Bhishma said that at the end of the Treta Yuga Silver Age, many of the most highly evolved people chose to leave the earth. 
Around this same time, the whole world was stricken with the terrible drought. Rivers and lakes dried up, cities were deserted, and civilization completely broke down. Most people died, while those who remained became marauders, or they starved. Even the rishis gave up their vows and began to wander in search of food. Bhishma said that the sage Vishvamitra abandoned his wife and son and set off in search of any kind of sustenance. Starving and alone, he eventually came across a hamlet in the wilderness, inhabited by cruel hunters who lived by eating all kinds of animals. They got their clothes and wealth by stripping the bodies of corpses. Piles of bones, skins, and trash lay in heaps all around the village, and as you might imagine, this place was a nightmare of impurity for any self-respecting Hindu. Our poor hero was simply too hungry to have any scruples over this place, so he entered the village and begged for any scrap of food. Of course, the peasants were as crude as their setting, and they angrily refused to give him anything. In desperation, Visvamitra waited until night and then snuck into a hut where a dog had recently been slaughtered. Hungrily, he began rationalizing. He concluded that even theft and eating unclean food were acceptable if it meant preserving one's own life. As he reached for a slab of raw dog meat, a dirty peasant stepped out of the shadows and hollered, Who's there? His face crimson with shame and his heart racing, the sage replied, Bless you, sir. I am Vishvamitra. I have come here out of severe hunger. Please don't kill me. The peasant kneeled before him and said respectfully, What are you doing here late at night, O holy one? Vishvamitra replied, I am dying of starvation, and I have a hankering for a chunk of that dog meat. I am so hungry that I am all messed up. I have forgotten my Vedic lore, and I have become sinful. Now all I can think to do is eat me a piece of that dog meat over there. The peasant, crude as he was, knew enough to realize that this was a bad idea. He said, No, don't talk like that. Dog meat is the worst. Really, there must be a better way to keep alive than stealing dog meat of all things. Vishvamitra said, Ah, but when one is dying, he must first see to his survival, by whatever means. Then he shall live to do whatever penance to make up for it. As long as I can keep alive, I can always expiate my sins later. Besides, he said, the great sage Agastya once ate the Asura Vatapi. So I'll eat some dog meat. It's not so bad. The peasant reluctantly gave up the fight and handed over the dog's leg, so at least the sage would not be guilty of theft. Vishwamitra set off directly to find his wife to share this precious meal. Even though the meat was unclean and disgusting, the sage resolved to treat it as if it were completely pure and sanctified. He carefully prepared and cooked it according to the Brahmanic rites, and made offerings to the gods, all according to the scriptures. And as he did this, Indra sent down the rains, thus ending the drought and bringing life back to the earth. Having survived the dire emergency, Vishvamitra was able to live on and perform all the necessary penance for what he'd eaten. Bhishma concluded that when one's survival is at stake, life should be preserved by whatever means are available. There will always be time later to make up for it. Bhishma's next story is a strange one, but it follows on the theme of people who live by killing wild animals. This story begins with an especially cruel trapper who lived alone in the woods, scorned even by other trappers for his meanness. One day, while out hunting in the woods, the trapper got caught in a huge rainstorm. The deluge flooded the forest floor, and the trapper was unable to return home. Wet and exhausted, he found shelter under a big tree. As he waded over to the tree, he noticed a pigeon lying stunned on an outcropping. Indifferent to her plight, the trapper grabbed the bird and put it in his basket for later snacking. 
the tree he sheltered under happened to be where the rest of the pigeon's family lived. Bhishma said that when he reached the base of this tree, he bowed to the tree and said, I beg all the deities that reside in this tree to allow me to shelter here for the night. He then spread out some leaves, rested his head on a stone, and fell asleep for the night. Meanwhile, up in the tree was nested the captured pigeon's husband and children. The wife had gone out that morning, but had not returned, and the husband was very anxious. He lamented that a house without a wife is no longer a home, and a family without a mother is lost. The captive pigeon heard her husband's lament, and she spoke to him. She said, Don't worry about me, but this trapper here has come to your house seeking shelter. It is your duty to offer him hospitality. Take care of him. You can always find another wife later. Joyfully embracing his dharma, the pigeon determined to do his best for his new guest. Saying that hospitality should be shown even to one's enemies when they come to your door, the pigeon offered the trapper to make himself at home. The trapper was a bit surprised, but he replied, Well, I could use a fire to warm up by. And so the pigeon flew off and retrieved dry grass and twigs, and even brought back a burning branch from some other fire. The trapper eagerly warmed himself by the fire and then said, Gosh, I'm pretty hungry. Do you have something to eat? The pigeon said, I'm sorry, but you know how it is with us birds. We don't store food for the next meal. We rely on nature to provide our food when we need it. But the bird felt pretty bad about turning down his guest's request, and he considered this for a while. Then it became clear to him what must be done. His guest must be fed, so he approached the flames and said, I have been taught that there is great merit in honoring a guest, so allow me to honor you as best I can. So saying, the bird circled the fire three times and then entered the flames. The trapper was stunned. He said, Holy crap, what have I done? I've been a cruel bad man. This noble creature has taught me a grave lesson. Now I know my duty. At that, the trapper decided to turn his life around and give up his wicked ways. The first thing he did was throw away his hunting implements and free his captive animals. But the pigeon's wife was inconsolable. She mourned her dead husband, saying, Without her husband, a woman becomes helpless and an object of pity. My husband was always good to me, and I was happy. Life here now has no purpose for me. Thus lamenting, the pigeon flung herself into the fire and joined her husband in the afterlife. The trapper was even more astonished at the sight of this incredible sacrifice, and he resolved then and there to lead a life of renunciation. The trapper gave up all desire for food or comfort. He wandered into the wildest part of the jungle, where the thorns lacerated his flesh and tigers eyed him hungrily. By some kind of providence, the trapper then saw a wild forest fire in the distance, and immediately he knew what to do. With a happy heart, the trapper ran straight into the heart of the conflagration. Bhishma said, Consumed by that fire, the trapper was cleansed of all his sins, and he attained the highest paradise along with the two pigeons. He concluded, saying, The woman who thus follows her Lord speedily ascends to heaven and shines in splendor there. This subject of hunting for food seems to come up quite often, and I have one last story concerning those who kill and eat forest creatures for a living. Yudhishthira wanted to hear about people who injure their friends and lack gratitude. So Bhishma replied with a story that took place among the Mlecha barbarians in the north. The story began with a wandering Brahmin named Gautama, who had never been educated in the Vedas. Hungry and impoverished, he entered a village of outlaws to beg. Approaching the house of the headman, the Brahmin begged for food and shelter to last him for one year. The bandit chief did him even better. 
he arranged for this Brahmin to marry a well-off widow and allowed him to take over her household. Suddenly finding himself in the lap of luxury and with no real training in the priestly profession, the Brahmin took up with his fellow villagers and learned the techniques of archery. If the Brahmin had been born with any moral scruples, he soon forgot them among these cruel people, and soon he learned to take great pleasure in killing and eating the forest creatures. He particularly loved to hunt and eat cranes. But just as Gautama was embracing the cruel lifestyle of his primitive neighbors, another Brahmin arrived at the village, from the same hometown as Gautama. But this Brahmin was properly trained. This newcomer, hungry as he was, would not accept food from low-caste shudras, and so he sought out a Brahmin from whom he could accept alms. Eventually, this Brahmacharya found the home of Gautama. Just as he approached the doorstep, Gautama himself came walking up, fresh from the hunt. Carrying a sword and bow, he bore a pile of dead animals on his shoulder and was covered in their blood. The Acharya recognized Gautama and couldn't believe it. He said, What the heck are you doing? You are a Brahmin and the father of a Brahmin. How is it you have become a butcher? You will bring shame on your whole clan. This reminder from his past seemed to snap Gautama out of his stupor. He suddenly repented of his lifestyle and lamented to his old friend, O holy one, I was poor and I am ignorant of the Vedas. Out of the need for comfort and security, I've taken up this way of life. But at the sight of you, I repent of what I've become. Stay with me tonight, and tomorrow I'll leave this place with you. The Acharya agreed to stay in his house, but he refused to touch anything, nor, despite his hunger, would he accept any food from this filthy host. It seems this upright fellow was not too impressed with Gautama's sudden conversion, because, while both of them left the next day, they did not go together. Gautama set off alone, with the objective of going to the seaside, perhaps to find a teacher there, it doesn't say exactly. Gautama joined up with the caravan, and they traveled together for several days, until one night a stampede of wild elephants trampled the camp, killing and scattering the survivors. Separated from the others, and unable to find the road, Gautama wandered off into the wilderness. As he wandered deeper into the woods, he noticed a change in the light, the sounds and smells, everything seemed more radiant and pleasant than a normal earthly forest. He had entered a grove that was favored by the gods. Bhishma said that even Brahma would occasionally vacation there. Tired and hungry, Gautama sheltered under a banyan tree for the night. Nesting in this enchanted tree was a beautiful crane. This crane was the first crane, born from one of Daksha's daughters way back at the time of creation. This magnificent bird flew down and offered Gautama hospitality. The bird said, Mr. Brahmin, I am Rajadharman, the son of Kashyapa and one of the daughters of Daksha. Be welcome, you are my guest today. At first, Gautama considered how he used to love to eat crane meat and seriously wondered if he should just eat this one. But the bird spoke so nobly that Gautama snapped out of it. This crane laid out a bed of flowers and grass, provided him a fire, and fetched several fishes for his guest. While they prepared to eat, the bird asked him his name and pedigree. Gautama replied, I am a Brahmin known by the name of Gautama, and that was all he would say about himself. When Gautama finished eating and laid back to rest, the crane fanned him with its wings. The crane then asked his guest about how he ended up here. Gautama said, I am very poor, so to get money I am trying to get to the sea. The bird said, Oh, that's not a problem. You are now my friend, and I can certainly help you find some money. 
It turned out that this amiable bird had a good friend in the person of a great Rakshasa king named Virupaksha. He lived nearby in a citadel. The bird said, that chief is a friend of mine. Just tell him I sent you and he'll take good care of you. So the next day, Gautama cheerfully handed over to the Rakshasa citadel. It was indeed a formidable place with big stone walls and lined ditches on all sides. Entering the walled city, Gautama marveled at the wealth while messengers ran ahead to announce his arrival to the king. When the Rakshasa king heard of his friend the crane's endorsement, he granted Gautama a private audience right away. Respectfully, the king offered him a seat of honor and then questioned Gautama about his birth, his spiritual practices, his knowledge of the Vedas, and what vows he was under. Like he'd answered the crane, he just said, My name is Gautama and I am a Brahmin. The shrewd king could already tell that not all was right about this guy, so he interrogated him more thoroughly. He asked, Where is your residence, and to what caste does your wife belong? Now don't be nervous, just tell me truthfully. Gautama said, I was born in the middle country, but now I live in a village of hunters. My wife is a Shudra, who had been a widow. I swear this is all true. Bhishma said that the king had to reflect a while on what he should do next. He considered, That guy seems to be a real scoundrel. But on the other hand, he's a Brahmin, and he is a friend of the crane, and I really should do what I can for my friend. The Rakshasa king decided to treat Gautama as he would any other honorable Brahmin. And it just so happened that a thousand Brahmins had arrived for a religious festival, and he was going to give them stuff anyway. He brought Gautama with him to the assembly hall, which was packed with the other Brahmins. The king welcomed all the Brahmins and worshipped them like a king should. As his line of kings had always done on this holiday, the Rakshasa laid out a vast heap of gold and jewels and said to the Brahmins, Take your gold plates and goblets and as much of that treasure as you desire. Reminding them that his people could not be well controlled, he said, On this one holiday I have restrained the other Rakshasas, so take all you want, enjoy yourselves, but then you better get moving. Gautama was delighted. He filled a sack with the heaviest gold items he could find and then started dragging it down and out of the city. The Rakshasa denizens eyed him hungrily as he struggled with his precious load. He did not make much progress that day, and by dusk he had only reached the banyan tree of the crane Rajadharman. He sat at the base of the tree, exhausted and hungry. The happy-go-lucky crane, always devoted to his friends, flew down and welcomed Gautama. The crane fanned him with his wings and then produced a meal for his guest. Feeling stronger now, Gautama began to think on the long journey he had yet to make with such a heavy treasure to carry. Eyeing the bird, his old predilection came upon him. He thought, he sure is a fatty. I could roast that guy and eat him bit by bit as I trek over these mountains. Gautama could not think of any other way of getting sustenance on this journey, so he figured it was his best option. Bhishma said, there, under the banyan tree, the prince of birds lit a fire for the sake of his guest. To one side of that fire, the bird slept trustfully. Then, the ungrateful wretch killed the trustful bird, not even thinking there was a sin in what he'd done. Deftly, he pulled off the feathers, gutted and roasted the bird on the fire. Happily, he slung his meat over his shoulder and commenced his journey home. It wasn't long before the Rakshasa king began to suspect something was amiss. Every day, his friend the crane flew to an audience with the god Brahma. On his return journey, the crane would stop by at the king's palace. But when the bird failed to appear for two days in a row, the king became concerned. He thought of that creepy Brahmin, and then he got really worried. 
He summoned his son and sent him to investigate the whereabouts of both the crane and the Brahmin. The prince raced over to the banyan tree with his guards, only to see a heap of feathers and crane guts. Immediately, they set out in search of Gautama. They did not need to look far, because Gautama had not made much progress dragging his golden horde. Seizing him, they found Rajadharman's uneaten remains. The dead bird and the living Brahmin were both brought before the king, who wailed loudly at the sight of his dead friend. The entire city went into mourning. Everyone loved that bird. He really was a nice guy. The king then turned to pass judgment on the perpetrator. He said, Let this sinful wretch be slain. Let these rakshasas eat his flesh. Let's do it now. The rakshasas were a bit reluctant. They were fine with killing him, but they didn't really want to eat him. He was so bad, even a rakshasa wouldn't touch him. The king said, All right, all right. We'll feed him to his fellow hunters. So now kill him. The rakshasas all joyfully joined in the task of chopping Gautama into bite-sized pieces, which they delivered up to the hunter tribe as a present. But even though these hunters were cannibals, not even they would eat this guy. They threw it into a dunghill, and then even the worms would not eat him. Getting back to the crane, the king ordered a great big funeral pyre to be prepared for the remains of his friend. The king himself officiated at the ceremony, and he set the wood alight. As the sacred fire burned, Sarabhi, the cosmic cow, Daksha's daughter and Rajadharman's mother, appeared above the flames. Her breasts were full of milk, and from her mouth she spat some milky froth onto the fire. Instantly, Rajadharman rose up over the flames and alighted next to his friend, the king. He had been revived by his mother. For some reason, with all these other miraculous events going on, Indra showed up. He just appeared there and started talking to the king. He said, Well done, you've brought back the prince of the cranes. Then he tried to explain what had just happened. He said, A long time ago, the crane here failed to show up at Brahma's court. Out of annoyance, Brahma cursed him to remain alive indefinitely. That was why he could not be killed. When Indra finished his story, the crane bowed to him and said, If you still have any of that Amrit left, and you'd like to do me a favor, kindly bring back my friend Gautama. Indra obliged and sprinkled some Amrit on what was left of Gautama, and instantly the perverse Brahmin was reassembled and brought back to life. He was still clinging to his sack of gold. The crane joyously embraced Gautama and thanked Indra for his help. Notably, the bird did not invite Gautama back to his banyan tree. Instead, the friends went their separate ways. The crane returned to his routine of visiting Brahma daily, while Gautama returned to his wife among the hunters. I guess you could say he lived happily ever after. Bhishma said that he returned to his Shudra wife and begot many sinful children upon her. The gods tolerated him, but when he died, he was sentenced to spend many long years in a particularly terrible hell. The moral to this strange story is that an ungrateful person should never be trusted for anything. And anyone who injures a friend will inevitably spend a long sentence in hell for it. That's all for now. Next time, we will continue with more vignettes from Bhishma's final teachings. Thanks for listening.